when babies were born overseas, we would get cigars for the dad. Unfortunately, some dads weren't there for the birth of their kids because of the war. Um, have a cigar. Um, also, cigars for promotions overseas. Um, and unfortunately, you know, unfortunately at the same time, just to kind of decompress from a really bad day. Um, and there's amazing organizations that would mail us cigars overseas, but it, I just have very distinct memories of holding a cigar in my hand on a mountaintop in Afghanistan or desert of Iraq, just special. Welcome to the Burning Questions podcast. I'm your host, Davis Lacey. Thanks, as always, for giving us the opportunity to curate conversations about smokes, stories, and substance. Today's episode is part two of a conversation we called Smokes with Servicemen. If you missed part one, go ahead and subscribe to the Burning Questions podcast, wherever it is that you're listening, or simply check out our podcast website at burningquestionspodcast.com. Part one of this conversation featured reflections on September 11th. In this portion of the conversation, our special guests reflect on their military service and how those of us who aren't presently serving in the military can best care for veterans of the armed forces. I'll let our guests introduce themselves first, and then we'll jump right into the meat of the conversation. Without further ado, here's Smokes with a Serviceman, part two. Today's episode on the Burning Questions podcast. Um, my name's Brayden Knox. I've been married to my wife, Jesse for about 15 years. Uh, three children. I come from a military background. My dad served 28 years in the Army. Uh, he's a retired Sergeant Major. Uh, my mom's been in the government now almost 30 years, so my sister served in the Army. Uh, she's several years younger than me. Um, I've been in the Army now almost 16 years, uh, 10 of those years uh, on active duty, and I've been serving in reserve capacity since 2017. Um, we met uh, through Lakewood Baptist Church, where I was an intern, and and you had uh, had recently left and planted was a your former church. Intern. Yeah, former yeah. intern, <laughs> resident, whatever we call it. Um, and yeah, just honored to be uh, to call you friend, and look forward to being here tonight. Thanks, bro. Thank you for your service, man. Appreciate Thank you. you. Yeah, Damon, how about you? I didn't know you came from this all in the family and everything too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. All right, Damon, how about you? Yeah, well, I'm gonna be uh, at least from the family standpoint. Um, the polar opposite as I was the the first and and only so far Um, so my name is Damon Gabriel I'm a United States Marine I served from 2008 to 2012 Um, I am married to my wife Samantha she and I have been married come it will be seven years in just a couple of weeks which is pretty cool Um, we've got three children as well all boys so it gets a little chaotic at the house Uh, two Irish twins because the COVID year was weird. So <laughs> we uh, couldn't leave and we made our own friends and I'll leave it at that. Uh, um, so yeah, that keeps us really busy. Um, but yeah, man, I, uh, I'm the first and only in my family line to serve. Um, I loved it dearly. Um, got injured overseas. I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point this sure. evening. So I'll save that for later. But uh, that's why I didn't at least do one more enlistment. enlistment. Um, I got out of the Marine Corps as an E-4, as a corporal, Um, and yeah, again, uh, I loved it. And Davis, you and I met in 2018 at the end of the summer via your mother-in-law. Yeah, man. So that was kind of a fun fun thing. I met met Janice and 
we get to talking and she's like, you're how old? You have how many kids? Wait a second. My daughter and her husband are moving back. You guys need to meet each other. And I got a couple other young people you need to meet too. And it was like the friendship matchmaker she was. And it was perfect because everybody who I met that day, we're still friends with. So that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Awesome. And again, thank you for having me. I'm very honored to be here. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a very, very special day to say the least. It means a yeah. lot. Let's talk a little bit about your, you know, we're, we're pivoting now. We talked about the impact that September 11th had on your decisions to join the armed forces. And appropriately, we've reflected a little bit on September 11th, but we've got you here. And, and I'd love for our listeners to know the sort of men that you are and, and what you've experienced and, and how you live your lives, because I think it's admirable. And I think it's honorable. So I'd love for you to paint just a little bit of a picture on your experience, knowing that your experience is not every service member's experience but I'd love for you to talk through some of the things that you have experienced in the military, maybe even some of the most difficult things that you've experienced during the military, and talk about how you process that. Talk about how you found strength to keep going, even with those tough difficulties, if that makes sense. Brandon, we can start with you. Yeah, I would, I would say what, what, what comes to mind and what I was thinking about driving up here is from, from the moment I, I at 9-11 had that laser-focused I remembered my father in the early mornings and the late nights he would have, the sacrifices he made and all the training. I had some phenomenal teachers and coaches that had served in the military that that believed in me and pushed me in ways that maybe I never would have thought I'd do otherwise. And that's, a, that's really the story of my military careers, the people that I've been around um, that are, it's such an incredibly diverse group of people that all come together on one unified mission um at west point i had i met people obviously you can way smarter than me way more talented than me but we all had a unified purpose we were going to war we were going to do our best here to train because when we graduated we were going to lead 40 men and women in combat we knew that reality we the nation we owe the nation we owe those parents those children to graduate and be our best. I was fortunate enough early on in my career to meet my wife who has been through a lot. I would say so to talk about sacrifices is, you know, in the military, you move a lot. So you make, you, you, you get into this core family, right? Where everywhere you go, you're going to have family and community, but you get to know somebody for a year and then boom, you got to move or boom, I got to go for a year or oh, I got to go for nine months. That was incredibly challenging, um, but I also say my wife and I have got to have incredible experiences. We lived in Washington, D.C. I got to serve Arlington Cemetery. I got to jump out of airplanes. I got to serve in, um, to work under Navy SEAL commanders, Army Ranger commanders, and do things that I never would be able to do otherwise. Um, to lead our men and women in uniform is, is a tremendous honor. So the way that people invested into me and poured into me as a leader, as a person. That's what I. That's what I feel like my calling with my life. And you know, a lot of that has come through, through the military. My faith is, you know, God, God got a hold of my life, particularly in life and death situations, and having to make phone calls to a mom that your son's not coming home. Um, but my faith is really what got me through those things, and a loving wife, family. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. In current day, I serve at the Pentagon uh, on the joint staff. And what we do is there, the, the listeners may not know, 
there is a place right now, 24-7, watching the world and will immediately react if anything comes remotely close to our country. And I'm very proud to say that I serve with a team that is fiercely dedicated to protecting Americans. And they don't need thank you. You know, people can go about their lives, but there are people that are vigilantly on guard, not only here, but overseas. So sorry, was a long answer. It's a great answer. And the follow-up for you is, you, you've done this, is it 20 years, 22 years? Uh, six, almost 16. 16 years. Mm-hmm. What's been the hardest part of long-term active service, if that makes sense? <laughs> um, physically, uh, you, you feel like your body's breaking down a little bit. Um, you know, you, it's a little bit harder to sleep. And, um, you know, it's you have the aches and pains, but everybody has that. Um, but like I said earlier, uh, because you go all in on the military, it, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a lifestyle. It, you're all in on it. When I hung the uniform up and I was, I was in the Rangers, my last active duty unit, Tambourine hung that up. When I left that and I'm like, oh, wait, I'm not putting my uniform anymore. I don't have to be somewhere at this time. You know, where, where are all my buddies that I can talk with, relate with, wasn't there. And that transition has been very difficult for me personally. Um, that, that community, um, and that's no one's fault. Um, but I think a lot of veterans struggle with that. Uh, yeah. So I'd say that's probably the toughest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that support system is like, it's not just like baked into the military. It's like part of the lifeblood of it. You know, like, I mean, you draw so much strength from it. We use the word camaraderie all the time. That's like the word that gets used. But I mean, until you have experienced it at that level, you know, or in something similar, it really is, uh, it's life-changing positively. And then you also, you pine for it post-op. It's probably going to be indefinite. There's one thing I'm grateful for social media for. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's one one pro I can give the, the folks at Meta. There you go, Zuck. But, um, yeah. Do you feel like that's what you miss most about active active service? Oh, absolutely. And, and, like, specifically, too, you know, like, camaraderie is specifically built <clears throat> through this event. It's not just the fact <clears throat> that they are there with you. It is the fact that they are enduring with you. And that is vastly different. When you and I get to go to hell together and come back from that event and talk about it and, and remember those who didn't come back, remember what happened, and we can become our own, like, you know, therapeutic group together, it's unlike anything else I've had in my life. Um, and it is that camaraderie, that's what it is. You have to endure the pain and the struggle. That is, you have to have that piece. If that piece is not there, the level at which that bond is established is not as strong as it could be. Absolutely, I miss that the most. Yeah, and that's why they always would say, we, you make training, you try to make training harder than war yeah. because you want to you, you wanna be so battle-hardened and so dedicated to each other. It's like, you know, I guess you could maybe equate it to sports, like, you know, going into spring training, baseball or football, so that when it, the crucible, when you're in that moment, there's no, there's no quitting. Absolutely. You know, you're, you're, everybody, everybody depends on one another. When you're getting ready to, you see that door and it's dark, you have no idea what's, what's behind that door. 
you trust the person behind you that's going to have your back. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Damon, you're, you've said, I think tongue-in-cheek, but also with some seriousness, that you would have liked to have served longer but were prevented. Yep. You're a Purple Heart recipient. Yep. Um, you, have, you have literally shed blood and, and given your body in the service of this country. I'm grateful for that. Um, Thank you, brother. Talk, talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, just some of the stuff that you endured. You talked about going to hell and coming back. And if you don't mind, just share a little bit about, about some of what you experienced there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll start off on like level one, right? Um, level one is being in discomfort that you've never been in before. And at first, this is very minimal and basic. You're not around your family for 13 weeks. Like, okay, you know what I mean? But at the moment in time, this is like one of the worst situations you've had to go through. You went from like all your meals and bills and everything covered to all your meals and bills are covered, but there are four (laughs) ferocious men following you around everywhere, making everything highly chaotic and stressful. But you have to accomplish whatever the mission is that you're that you're being sent out to do, um, and that's like your basic training moment. You know what I mean? That's boot camp right there through uh, several different, you know, exercises over the course of 13 weeks. You know, that's like level one of it, and then it continues to escalate as you start getting there, and then you get to the point where like training is training. So you get out of boot camp and you go to infantry training, and then you get to the fleet and you get in with your unit and you do your workup. And like, you're still at the bottom of the, you're on the bottom rung of the ladder, you know what I mean? But at this point, like we've got our routine established. I know what it's like to be uncomfortable at this level, but I've been going through that with these dudes. So like, I can talk to them about it and we're all like, yeah, man, I totally understand where you're coming from. That, that, that did suck what Sergeant Campbell did or whatever, blah, 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 you know what I mean? But then like you get over into country and you start experiencing the reality of war and I was very fortunate and I stand by this to this day you can never be fully prepared to go to war but you can be as prepared as possible and I think that what prepared as possible looks like or at least what it looked like for me is I firmly believe that I was protected by God in this as well is that I went to boot camp I went to infantry training battalion I went to advanced infantry training battalion I hit the fleet and they were in Iraq so I got to train with the remain behind element, the RBE, for almost three months till the boys got back, right? Then they go on leave, they come back. I get designated out to my company. We have an entire workup that we went through, and then I deployed. I know, not from my own experience, but from the stories that I was told from all of my instructors at Infantry Training Battalion that were all Fallujah vets, three of them, left MCRD, Marine Corps Recruit Depot, and went to Fallujah as combat replacements out of boot camp. Like, talk about hard. And Fallujah, if you don't already know what it is, just go on Google and, 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 and type that in. And if, if the band is not the first, if, there, if the band's the first hit, scroll down a little bit till you get to the Phantom Fury is what you're looking for, guys. And go look at what happened. That was hellacious war brutal war 
um, we went through it pretty quickly, and we con the Marine Corps and the Army and everybody conquered that, and we, we did it. But, like, that was, that was brutal. Um, and I didn't have that. You know, like, I had so much training prior to going up. We were as prepared as we could be when we got there. But when we got there, everything came off the rails on several different occasions. And you are only as prepared as you can be. And that is of no fault of anybody. That just is a fact because until the rails come off and you have to use what we call in the Marine Corps as violence of action. So at this moment, you're taking a left or a right. You don't know what's gonna go down either one, but you can't just sit here and think about it. You gotta just go and do it, right? And uh, there are a couple instances, one um, going to hell and back where a decision was made that left a Marine in five pieces loaded into a body bag on the way back to the States. And that was the first time that I had to experience death. And that was incredibly difficult because you don't know what's happening, but you know what's happening. Um, and then we have a combat service for this Marine. And I was in Afghanistan in 2010. So we'd been there for nine years. They also fought the Russians. They knew what was going on. So when the birds came in and a big convoy showed up to our, uh, to our, little, our little PB out there at Tagaz, um, what, yeah, what, what did the Taliban do? They attacked us ferociously. And in the middle of a service, while we're mourning one of our brothers being gone, we had to don the garb and go fight war. Because at the end of the day, you're in war regardless. And that was the first time I had to become numb to death. And I wasn't numb to it yet. That happened a couple months later. But that was the first time I was like, okay, I got to become numb to this situation. <clears throat> and that, <clears throat> when you get to go through that experience, you know, that's like hell level one, right? Of like, we're really experiencing the reality of the situation that we are in. But we are prepared to be here. We chose to be here. And we are going to continue to be here. Um, you know, and I memorialize that man every day with this bracelet that's on my wrist. And, uh, yeah, you know, that was like, that's like intersection number one with that. And then that story, unfortunately, can be repeated a couple of times for that deployment. Um, and then, you know, for us, we found ourselves at the end of our deployment raiding um, a town called Bagram Shah. It was half in Afghanistan, half in Pakistan. It's a highly sensitive mission. A lot of information that we got from like actually the top. I didn't think that I was ever going to go on like a mission that's like this important, but you're literally school circling with your company commander who's like, these orders just came down from the Pentagon. <clears throat> We've got four days. We're moving out. Here's what we got to do. And uh, my company commander looks at me and Sergeant Platts. We've been blown up twice now and says, White 2, you're point Vic for the movement. If you go oh, down... You are on station. If you go down, you have to protect yourself for three days. We'll get you when we come back. Third time's a charm. I'm like, we're dying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, so what the CO just said without saying it is, he's preparing my mind for this to be the end. And it obviously was not, and that's a, that's a blessing. But uh, that experience um, was remarkable. And seeing the full force of the United States military and some of our special forces friends from England um, was astounding to say the least. Um, that was a cherry on top for that deployment. You wanna talk about really building bonds and getting even stronger. 
with the guys to your left and your right have an experience like that it was uh it was wild wild did i answer the question i feel like i started rambling i'm sorry nope you you answered the question i'm taking it in um thank you both for the <coughs> sacrifice thank Absolutely. you yeah yeah um you know couple couple questions maybe as as follow-ups how's your military experience changed the way that you view yourself that you view our country that you view the world because what you're describing is something that i haven't come close to going through right so i feel like you have been given a perspective that i want to learn from but that i'm never going to obtain right and so i I just love to know what how, how do you view yourself your country the world differently for me um one of the most critical lessons that I'm continuing to learn is how Im- Im- invaluable relationships are. And not just transactional, but what I'm saying is tr- deep relationships to thinking about my own experience, which is nothing. I mean, Damon, thank you, brother. I mean, the places that he's talking about are literally like the pits of hell. Um, and um, for my own experience having an Iraqi in a ragtag vehicle shoot before I even saw someone to defend me to that same night offering food to me you know and and, and around the world we all want the same thing we want a good life family and the relationships with people like that to hearing their stories about Saddam Hussein era and to Afghans and the life that they've had to grow up in um, into the ways that they protected my life. They would go out and in front of me, literally with sticks and prod for IEDs before we got there. And they did them their own accord. Um, to being able to partner with, uh, being in the Rangers was able to be in the special operations world for a few years. To be able to, to see the world, literally the Brits, the Australians, to other, other forces. <clears throat> come together to try and rescue people that were kidnapped. Literally to see us go all in to try and rescue people that were unjustly taken, to seeing us go after, for me, a lot of what I think about too is how a reality of how terrorism is still a very real thing. Mm -hmm. And to see what we're doing behind the scenes to go after ISIS is still a very real thing. Al Qaeda is still a very real thing. And we're stretched to the four winds right now. But those relationships that we've built, so people ask me all the time, was Iraq, Afghanistan a failure? Was that a, and that might be taboo, but I'm gonna say it, you know, I'm proudly can say no. And there's many, many mistakes, you know, that we can learn from, and I hope we learn from them. But the relationships that I know that I've built, I have people across the pond. I was just blessed to be promoted in the army. And I had a brother that I served with, he's a special operator in Australia. He mailed me a coin and a personal letter all the way from Australia. I know that guy's gonna be in charge of his military one day and he's fighting terrorism in his part of the world. And those relationships are gonna continue to matter. And in my own current context with you, with you, we're, you know, we're brothers and I, I just see life through relationships and that they matter, that they're important. And it's not just about what I can get from you or others, but how can I serve you? Because I saw so many people in the military do things without 
asking anything in return. And so that servant leadership just really resonated with me, um, coming from my home life with my dad being, you know, retiring at the highest rank as an enlisted man, and many other examples. I take that with me. It's good. Yeah. It's good. You know, you touched on something when you were talking about your Terps and what they were doing for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think that externally the interpreter story gets told enough. Um, what was the question again? And I, there's specifically a, there was a, something I wanted to tie onto with what you said about the interpreters. The question was, how does your military service change the way you view yourself, your country, the world, the world? There we go. Okay. Right. And so like, this is, you know, this is a perspective you can't get until you've gone and you don't necessarily have to get it through war. That just happened to be the perspective in which I got it through. But when you travel the world, especially when you go to places that are not a modernized, you know, city civilization, like all the international countries we would typically go to vacation, um, you know, when you see that, it's, it, it's, it's a remarkable, um, it's a reminder, but it's also like a, wow, look at what we actually have. So to go back to the interpreter, we're talking about dudes who were born and raised in Afghanistan and Iraq. For me, I will talk about in Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, Fraden Naidu was 19 when I met him. And he was from Kabul. And we were, I think, his third Marine unit that he had turped for. And I don't know if they are like back to back like we are and it's nine months and then you're on with another one or whatever the case may be. So for just basic math, let's just call that three years of service, which would have meant that he would have been starting this when he was 16. And this is how much this young man hated the Taliban because of what he saw them do to his mother and his father. And when you get to know this man, and you have your experiences overseas, but then he shares with you another layer of really why you're there. This is another layer, right? Like 9-11, but there's also been evil going on in the world for since the dawn of time, but specifically in Afghanistan for a long time. So it's another layer of why you're there and you hear that. And then you recall, you know, the flowing streams and pastures that you get to lay your head down in, in America every single day. And the grocery stores that we get to go shop, you know, and the fact that I can walk down the road and go buy a firearm and I get to vote, I can walk out here and express my opinions of things, regardless of whether you agree with them or not. This is the antithesis of what was going on and is continuing to go on in the majority of places around the world. And I can only leave that situation with an immense amount of gratitude for where I come from and what I have. It was done of no work of my own. I didn't choose to be born in America. You know what I mean? I had no control over any of that, but this is the life in which I have been given. And so oftentimes, 
and I'm guilty of this too, listener. So like I'm reminding myself of this too, you know, you're, this is clearly causing me to go deep inside of my heart and soul here. There are so many things for us to get upset and frustrated and annoyed at day in and day out and to be so pissed off at our neighbor because they're a Republican or a Democrat or whatever. And at the end of the day, the amount of privilege that goes into the fact that that can even be done is so lost on modern society, especially in America, that I would just ask everybody to really take a look around them and remember where they're at. Consider some of the stories that you're hearing this evening. Open up a history book. Go a couple hundred years back and see what we had to do to one another, right? And look at the situation we're in today and really be grateful for what we have because absolutely life comes with its annoyances and its grievances and its things that are unfair and wrong and cause you pain. But I would be willing to bet that the majority, and I'm talking like 99%, right, of issues that we are facing day to day are not those at which are being faced in other places of the world. And so again, if burning the flag makes you happy, exercise your First Amendment right. But understand that in so many other places around the world, if that action was chosen, it would be coming with the end of your head and life. And that's such, and again, like, that's the reality of the world that we live in. So that, the question is asked to me, what is my perspective and what have I gained from this? And again, I can only put myself back into gratitude because of no effort of my own, I'm here today, who I am, I chose none of this. You know what I mean? My genetic makeup and experience to be in this country was not of my own choosing. Be grateful for what you have. Amen. Amen. So conversations like this make me grateful, not just for our nation, but for men like you. Um, and so you talked on this a little bit earlier in the conversation, but what, what are some of the ways that are helpful and aren't helpful in terms of folks expressing their gratitude for your service? Does that make sense? What really makes a difference and what drives you crazy? <laughs> um, like I had mentioned before, you don't need to apologize to me for not serving because I don't hold it against you. Again, uh, no one forced me to raise my right hand. Uh, that right hand went up as fast as it could because I wanted to get over there. That was my own decision, as Damon talked about. That's right. the beauty of our country. A lot of people don't realize across the pond, a lot of people have to go serve. They have no choice in the matter. I'll never forget sitting across the table with an Israeli Special Forces member, and he looked at me and he says, do you know what it's like to be at war every day of your life? with a very serious tone. And I said, no, sir, I do not. So getting back to the gratitude piece, uh, they're literally at war every day. Um, being in the military and being my background, to be candid, sometimes I feel like people uh, kind of keep me away from like an eight, 10 foot pole, because I don't know what to do with you kind of thing, <laughs> right? Um, and it's, some of that, I guess, just comes with the territory, given the background that we share. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said before, um, asking a veteran how they're doing and, you know, thank you, there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But what I, what I would plead, what I feel like we could lose if we don't keep telling our kids is 
my heart really goes out to the Gold Star families and to the wounded, wounded, um, because they're they're impacted. They have Memorial Day every day of their life. You know, we have Memorial Day every year. Um, but giving flags every day at Arlington, I it was, it was a blessing, but it, one of the hardest things I'll never forget. At Dover Air Force Base, my very first dignified transfer was a 19-year-old man in Kandahar who had a young wife who was blown to pieces. We would pick up these uh, steel um, know, transfer cases and the bodies inside, and you literally pick it up and there's nothing in there. You know, and his poor wife was about to see him in this case with a flag. And that was that was that's her memory. And so what I would say is just please let's never forget our fallen. Um, there are so many causes to help the fallen's children to go to school, to give them the chances and opportunities um, to put your arms around the widowed and, and help them. Um, and if there's so many veteran causes, we can give you something to put on your on a website yeah, or something. Absolutely. But but uh, that that's truly, truly uh, where my heart is. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I So I share all the same. I, w- I would only add on this one. And it's funny because <laughs> my number one annoyance doesn't even have to do with the civilian sector saying thank you. Um, my number one an- annoyance, I'm sorry if I piss anybody off, but I feel like I have the right to say it, so I'm going to. Um, number one thing that pisses me off is when I see veterans go on social media and get all bent out of shape about people grilling out and having fun and enjoying their freedom. And here's why that pisses me off. And it doesn't mean that I don't think that there should be a cause for a silent reflection on said freedoms. But I will only speak for myself and my boys that didn't come home. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I was trying to um, guilt people out of their freedom that every single one of my buddies who didn't come home would beat the piss out of me. That's why they died. So that we could be free and continue to endow ourselves with these freedoms that have cost their lives and the lives of countless people before them, right? And that really irks me. I go out of my way on my business, professional social medias on military holidays to remind people to lean into their freedom and to take a moment to remember why they have them because that's really what we need. So, you know, if you want to buy me a drink or say thank you, you know, I definitely don't need your apology for sure. Like I, I'm, I'm here and my experience is mine because it was, but like, you know, thank a veteran, shake their hand, buy them a drink if you're at a bar and that's your thing, you know, but like, don't also feel bad for living in your freedom. We fought for you to have it and it's okay to have it. That's really good, man. That's really good. Well, last question I've got for y'all. Um, and that is you carry a heavy load and whether that's the load of memories in the past, whether that's the load of active service in the present, Brandon, whether that is the load of medical issues in the present, Damon, uh, whether that's the issue, I think, Brandon, you talked about it, of, of feeling like you're held at arm's length because yep. you're different, right? right. Your, your experience is different. Yep. How do spaces like this and cigars specifically 
help you guys process and deal with that. Mm. Yeah, if I could speak to, I hope, you know, there's lots of uh, veterans listening tonight. Um, you know, we all as people need a purpose. We, we need a direction. And for a lot of veterans, you know, the, I think the statistic is still 22 a day that are ending their life. Um, if you see someone in your community, a veteran, help them. Maybe they just need a little bit of a nudge. And, you know, I, 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 and I might be in trouble for saying this, but veterans aren't victims either. You know, we, we've, 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 we've made that call. But we, we all have our moments where we're in a rut. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for me tonight, you know, um, this has been incredibly helpful because as veterans, sometimes we just kind of keep it suppressed because we're told you don't show your emotion. It keeps you alive. Keeps you alive. It really does. I mean, and that's yeah. the whole different conversation. But And sorry to interrupt, but yes, no. we are taught that, and it is a protective measure and highly necessary. I, I can't go in front of my men and say and be a basket case about a mission that we have to go do. I, I need to be the one in, in the room that wholeheartedly believes. Obviously, it needs to be done correctly, ethically. But as a, as a leader, I've got to set that environment, that tone. And so that's kind of being, you know, you've got to be stoic. But in situations like this, I mean, I can't remember the last time I've actually reflected mm. on 9-11 um, and just in service because you're kind of in a grind, you know, all the time. And so I encourage veterans listening, you know, get up here at LJ and relax and, and have a cigar and, and talk it through. I've got a dear friend uh, a chaplain who loves cigars and whenever we get together that's what we do and we open up about things that only we can really talk about and that is incredibly healing amen so yeah absolutely um i would echo all those words and the only thing that i would add to it is in, in specifics to the space and davis you and i use this space weekly which is part of my answer so when you come to a cigar lounge to smoke a cigar unless, um, and forgive me for the not remembering the name, but unless it's a shorty, what are they called? Oh, I mean, they could be figurados. They could be petite coronas. There we go. Oh, petite coronas. There it is. Unless it's a shorty and even shorties. I like, I like shorty best. There you go. Awesome. (laughs) Can we call it a shoddy? Shoddy. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So unless it's a shoddy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you're going to be in here for a while and that's nice you said it's a grind life is a grind it's a grind for me it's a grind for you it's a grind for you it's a grind for anybody listening life is a grind Um, it takes a lot of strength and willpower to get through the day especially for the average man or woman right when you are forced to slow down and be present it is highly rejuvenating and you can't smoke a cigar in three minutes or you'll probably throw up everywhere so please don't do that um sounds like you're speaking from experience man maybe i am man that was a good evening and embarrassing but it happened yeah when you get to take time (laughs) and slow down and this whole like this place want makes me want to slow down like i want to be present and in this space Clearly, whoever was behind it took a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of thought into every little detail that was here. So you're doing a disservice if you're, A, not being present in it. But when we talk specifically about veterans and these conversations that we're having tonight, like when you really get to take 
that step back and reflect on it and slowly work that kind of stuff out of yourself. It is highly therapeutic and very good. And I don't remember the last time that I reflected on 9-11 specifically. Um, I love what you said about Memorial Day being every day because it is. But in a space like this, whether we're opening up the word for two hours of transformation, whether we're having an interview tonight or it's two hours in the middle of the day, to smoke a cigar and do some work, you know, to be able to be present and slow down this place affords that encourages it, promotes it and is designed for it. Um, I would encourage any veteran listening tonight to find a place like that. Maybe cigars aren't your thing, but if you can find a place that can slow you down and open you up like that, that is rejuvenating and healing. And we all need that. Um, as of just a couple of months ago, Unfortunately, I can say I have now lost more brothers to themselves than I did to war. It begs the question, if they'd had a place to slow down and reflect with somebody, might they be here? Good question. It's a good question. Men, this has been an honor. This has been a joy to have this conversation with you tonight. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your service. I appreciate who you are as, as men, kind of men that I want my son to grow up and be like. Thank, well, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. Um, and for listeners, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Burning Questions podcast. Hope to see you soon at the LJ Cigar Lounge. Uh, until then, you can make sure that you can find more at burningquestionspodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in to Smokes with Servicemen here on the Burning Questions podcast. I hope that you were as educated and encouraged as I was through this conversation. If you're an active member of the armed forces or a veteran and need a place to connect, we would love to offer you our hospitality here at the LJ Cigar Lounge. And if you're looking for ways to care for at-risk veterans, check out 220.org. 220 is a movement that seeks to take the average 22 veteran suicides, which happen on a daily basis, and transform that statistic into zero. We'll include the link in the show notes, but it's the number two, the number two, Z-E-R-O dot org. We produce conversations like this one each and every month on the Burning Questions podcast. So be sure you don't miss a future episode. Subscribe to the Burning Questions podcast today and visit burningquestionspodcast.com for more information. You can even email a question to hello at burningquestionspodcast.com. On behalf of all of us here at the LJ Cigar Lounge, we hope to see you in the shop soon. Until then, we'll be here bringing the Cigar Lounge to you on each and every episode of the Burning Questions podcast.